stand together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll take a few moments to continue our study in the book of 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a classic. This is a classic chapter on the uh, rapture of the church or the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. There is some great instructions and a call to holiness in the first 12 verses, and then we get into that. Let's look at it quickly, if we can, please, in verse number 1, and uh, our chapter 4. And uh, let's, read, let's read the chapter. I think we'll be okay. It'll take us about uh, two minutes. We can do it together. How about this side of the auditorium? You guys do the odd number verses. You do the even numbers. Are you ready? Here we go. Ready over here? Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know... For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. You which know how to possess his vessel and sanctifications and honor. Even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. We also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despises, despises not man, but God. But as touching, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech ye, brethren, that ye and that ye study to be quiet and to and to work with your own hands as we have commanded you. I'm going to read verse 13. Let's follow along if you would please and I'll have you conclude with me together. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not either as others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which also sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, there's the reference to the rapture or his coming, shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. Read verse number 16 with me, everyone. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout. And with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, verse 17 says, Then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Let's read verse 18 together. Wherefore, it's a wonderful material here, Lord. We want to uh, say what you once said in the time that we have together, how I thank you for bringing us together. What a great, I, I don't know. Lord, how many uh, services on a Wednesday night would have the participation of the church family like we have tonight? But I'm so glad they're here. We've got young couples here that, that uh, worked a hard day and then got the kids ready and fed them on the way or right before and got them here in the nursery. Thank you for nursery workers and people who came early to prepare the building. Thank you, Lord, for the choirs that met in the junior high and the children's choir and the youth choirs and Folks who came early and sat in their cars and read this passage of Scripture in preparation for this study, some. 
Thank you, Lord, for helping us. And I do pray for Brother Daryl Moore tonight, wherever he may be, if he is uh, in his surgery or getting prepped for the new kidney that, that you could give him in this transplant, help his body to accept it and not reject it. Help the, uh, the, uh, the, the process to be smooth. And may he and Miss Sandy really be encouraged by, uh, by this uh, new and opportunity that he may have, Lord, to not have to be on dialysis as he serves you. Use him and help him. Bless I pray our study in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, I wanted to remind you real quickly, the Lord is coming again. And God wants us to live in that light. What are some things that if we believe the Lord is coming again that are beneficial to us? What does it cause us to do? Anybody have an idea on that? Yes, sir. But Lawrence. We'll live more pure, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. If we have this hope that we're going to see him and we'll be like him as he is, then we'll purify ourselves even as he is pure. Good. Somebody else, what's another thing that happened? Yes, ma'am. Certainly, we will be more uh, engaged and be zealous of good works, which would include soul winning, telling others about Christ. Yes, ma'am. Yep, and we just mentioned that uh, there, but we'll be more apt to witness and be zealous of good works. So we've got two things so far. One of those, what's another thing, Jason? It will elevate our behavior. It certainly will. We'll live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And uh, you want to you wanna live more pure? Uh, evaluate that Jesus could come at any time to take you home and be with you and you to be with him, and it should. And Titus says, looking for that blessed hope in the Lord's appearing, and the great God, our Savior. And it says, because of that, God's grace reminds us that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. We should lay aside worldly lust and follow the Lord. And then I think the last one we shared about is it gives us patience of hope. What does patience mean? What's another word for patience? Perseverance, yeah. It helps you persevere through the tough days of life. How many have had some tough days? Your mama told you you have days like that, right? And you've had some difficult days, but God helps you through them. And you know what helps you do that is the promises of God that will soon be done with trials and troubles. And our Lord Jesus is going to come back, and that is going to be the wonderful day, and so will we ever be with the Lord. Well, these are new Christians in Thessalonica. Uh, Paul, while he was with them, you can see that in chapter 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2 and verse number 5. He says, well, I was with you. I told you these things. And so he gave it to the, the doctrine straight and reminds them. And now he is, in, he is in Athens or possibly in Corinth. And he gets the notice. He probably gets a notice from Timothy. He comes and visits them, tells them here's what's going on. And they send back a letter. And uh, some of the letter... Is, uh, is, talking about, uh, is talking about the coming of Christ. He uses a few verses, 12 verses, to give them just practical advice about Christian living. Let's look at those real quick. I think we'd do a miss if we didn't at least scan those 12 verses before we get to verse number 13. Look, if you would, please. 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verse 1. Furthermore, we beseech you, brethren, and we exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as you've received of us how you ought to walk and to please God so that you would abound more and more. He said, look, just like we talked to you and with you, walk and please the Lord with your life. And then he's going to tell them, here's what we told you. Verse 2, here's the commandments by the Lord Jesus. Verse number 3, read it out loud with me. For this is the will of God, even your, that ye should abstain from 
Okay, so he's going to talk to them about living pure moral lives. They are in Greece. They are in, in the areas of Macedonia. And uh, immorality was the norm for many of the people. And it's a very wicked world today. It's amazing. It's repulsive. It's sickening how oftentimes everything has to go to a sexual level. And you can't, you can't, even, sell, you can't even sell tuna fish without being something sexual about it. It's ridiculous. And you and I are caught up in it. We're caught up in it. You can't, you can't just scroll down Facebook uh, without, uh, without being very careful. You can't scroll down Instagram without seeing things. You can't just go to any YouTube and watch anything. You can go, you can scroll whatever you want to scroll, and they're going to find somebody that is scantily dressed or some seductive thing. You can't uh, Google something without some little pop-up or cookie trying to get you into a sexual or immoral uh, appetite. It's called concupiscence. It's a Bible term. We don't use it too much today, but it means uh, creating a desire or a longing for something that is forbidden. So Paul, in the middle of this passage of Scripture, where he's talking about the coming of Christ and his time with them and so forth and so on, he said, look, one of the things you want to do is live pure. You want to live holy. You want to abstain from fornication. Now, fornication, in its strict sense, is immorality prior to marriage. But in its general sense, it's any immoral activity. Could be, it's the word pornea, por, where we get our word pornography from. It's general immoral sins. It could be talk, it could be sexing, it could be uh, something that is pornography, it could be all kinds of talking to someone that's not your husband, not your wife, it could be in or outside the realms of marriage, it certainly could be homosexuality, bestiality, whatever uh, the wickedness of the day are. Uh, it's immoral, it's wrong. He said, look, you want to do the will of God? Abstain from any immoral behavior. It, is, it is, might be a little satisfaction for a moment, but it is regret for a lifetime, and I say for eternity. Amen. Nothing like immorality to mess things up. To be morally pure is smart. To be immoral is to be an idiot. It's just dumb. On the best day, immorality is dumb. It creates all kinds of... And every other sin that a man does without the body, but the sin of immorality is a sin against you. Your body, your mind, your psychological health, it will mess with you in every way imaginable. It'll, it'll, it'll cause all kinds of things. And so he's telling them, look, in light of the Lord's coming, be pure. We told you when we were with you. We gave you commandments by the Lord Jesus Christ. Abstain. For immorality, continue on, verse number four, the Bible says, Now, that every man should know how to possess his vessel, his body, in sanctification and what? Okay, so God said, I want you to, you take care of you, your vessel. This is my body, you got a body. I want you to control it, possess it, like you would, if you're steering a horse or you're driving a car, you are the one who is in control of that body. You possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. I was speaking to the high schoolers today a little bit out of Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 1 where the Bible says, through desire a man having separated himself, seeketh and meddled with all wisdom. I shared it with the college students the other day. 
One thing I didn't contemplate, but I should have, is really, the, the truth of the matter is, one of the things as leaders we try to do for our children is to separate them and for our, for our followers, separate from things that are counterproductive to their spiritual health. Every parent, if you have your worth, your weight, and salt, you'll occasionally see a friend that's not good for your child, and you'll say, listen, no, you're not going to hang around her. You cannot hang around him. And we want to do that for folks. I mean, I, I've met many people that I said, look, I think you've got some bad influences there. And, but the truth of the matter is, wisdom doesn't come to them because I separate them. He said, he said through desire, a man separated is who? Himself. We see the similar concept over in, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. When the Bible says the servant of God must not strive with people, but be gentle, patient, apt to teach, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. When someone is in sin, <coughs> who are they really opposing? They're opposing their own potential, their selves. They're hurting themselves the most in that moment. He said, but he said, if you're working with them in meekness, that means you, you, you keep working with them, you keep working with them, you love them. In, in, in those who oppose himself, if God prevention would bring them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Here's the big kicker in verse number 26. That they may recover themselves out of the snare or the trap or the choke chain of Satan who has taken them captive at his own will, jerking them back and forth. They can't even control themselves. They don't have that. But they don't have to have the choke chain on. They, they can take it off. But one of the frustrating things about leadership is you can't take it off them. Boy, I want so bad sometimes. Say, man, look, I got to help you this. Here, maybe let's pull that off. Let's pull that satanic stronghold off of you. But you know, it can come off. But you know who has to take it off me? Me. You know who has to take it off you? You. It has to come to a place like, I'm not going to continue like this. This is not going to happen. And I think God would bring repentance so we can recover ourselves out of the snare of the devil. It's an important concept. And your vessel is your vessel, my vessel is mine, and we must uh, possess our vessel in sanctification, purity, and letting our bodies honor the Lord. Look at the next verse, if you would please, in verse number 5. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Once again, that's a focus uh, on things that are forbidden. That's a longing, creating longing. That's why pornography is so foul and, and uh, all the dress codes into the world or the lack of dress codes and things of that nature and, and the immorality that goes on with our eye gate or ear gate and all that. It, it creates appetites for things that God says no. He said don't do that. That's how the world does. They create desires for things you shouldn't do. Don't you do that. That's how the Gentiles live. Continue on if we can, please. Verse number six. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have also forewarned and testified. I want you to just look at that real quickly. And I don't know this to be the case, but no man go defraud and defraud, defraud his own brother. I don't know if it's talking about homosexuality, but boy, homosexuality is a problem in our day. And he said, if that's, if that's the problem in this church, uh, it needs to be dealt with. 
And he says, if you don't deal with it, it's going to, and he tells, he talks about the judgment. Look at verse number six, that he says that the Lord is the avenger of all people who get into immorality, especially in this area of homosexuality, as we have forewarned you and testified. Take a moment, go to, if you would please, just hold your place here, go to Ephesians chapter five and verse five and six, would you? Ephesians chapter five and verse number five and six. He's talking about immorality. You can see it in verse number three, fornication, uncleanness. That's, that's immorality. Covetousness. These are some sins that we're, 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 we do have problems with. Filthiness, foolish talking, verse four. Verse number five, for this ye know then, that no whoremonger, unclean person, covetous, idolaters inherits in the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean they can't be saved. They, they can't, a saved person can't do that. They will limit their inheritance. They will limit the blessings of God upon them. But would you look at verse number six? If you want to get involved with immorality, homosexuality, these kind of things, let no man deceive you with vain words. Don't let someone pat you on the head and say it's okay. For because of these things cometh what? The wrath of God upon the children of? Yeah, you do, you do those kind of things, you're going to pay. Uh, you can look at HIV, you can look at the, the uh, diseases all over the planet. There's hundreds of them now that have, have popped up because of the immorality of our day. And it's, it, it's reasonable. God says it's just a reasonable thing that he's going to bring wrath upon the children of disobedience. You know what to do. You don't want to play by God's rules. There are rightful things that will affect your body, your mind, your psychological health, and on and on and on. So he is reminding this church of Thessalonica about these matters. Let's continue if we can, please. We're going back to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. For God hath not called, verse 7, for God hath not called you unto uncleanness, but the whole, he didn't call you to be an immoral pervert. He calls us to be holy. He therefore that despises, despises not man but God, uh, who hath given to us his Holy Spirit. So when someone talks about this and you get mad at the person that's talking about it, I don't think anybody's mad at me tonight, but if I made you mad, I'm sorry about that, but I, I can't change my position because <laughs> these are not my words. I didn't write it, I just recite it, okay? But I will tell you this, if someone gets fired up about this, they're not despising the preacher or the teacher or the Bible preacher, they're despising the Lord. They're despising God and his Holy Spirit that's making obvious his truth. Let's continue on. Verse number 8. He, therefore, that despises, verse 8, verse 9. Let's pick up 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Several things we see here that please the Lord. A sanctified life pleases the Lord. A spirit-filled attention to accept things from God's word and from his spirit. By the way, when you come to church and you have attentiveness, you're listening, you're saying, God, what do you want to talk to me about? And you're attentive, God is well pleased with spirit-filled listeners. He's very pleased with sanctified living. But here in this next verse, he's very pleased with sibling love. Look, if you would please, at verse number, uh, verse number uh, nine. Is touching brotherly love? I don't really need to write to you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. He said, I'm very impressed with sibling love and the way you love. By this you'll all know you're my disciples if you have love. One thing that this world ought to see with people is like Christians, they love one another. That's why you don't want to get, uh, get mouthy or critical of God's people. 
I don't want to do that. You want to love them. And where love is thick, other people's faults are thin. If you easily find problems with other people, you might want to go to Costco and get some love, okay? Get a lot of it. Where love is thin, people's faults are thick. You find critical people, you're normally going to find people that, that have a limited amount of love. You find the people who have a lot of love cover the multitude of sins. And he says, brotherly love is an important part. of, And it pleases the Lord. It makes him happy. When we endeavor to keep the spirit of unity and the bond of peace and we love each other, that's important. Now, it doesn't mean we, we pat people on the head when we're wrong. We're sinful. We've got to deal with that. But look, if you would please, I love this next, uh, next verse. It's a, it's a missions verse. Indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all where. Where is Thessalonica? It's in Macedonia. It's where Berea is in Macedonia. Philippi is Macedonia. He says, you guys have really done a good job in, in, in getting the love of Christ and, and witnessing in Macedonia. But notice what he says in verse number 10. He says, uh, but we beseech you. What do you think beseech you means, church? Beg, plead with you. We ask you to consider this. We beseech you that uh, ye do what? Increase more and more. He goes, I want you to keep, go outside your borders a little bit. This is world evangelism, I think, is talking about. He so be good in your home place, but be good everywhere else too. Keep reaching out, getting farther, going, going stronger and reaching farther for the cause of Christ. Let's, let's do that. Verse number 11, the Bible says, and you study to be quiet. He wants studied libraries. He wants us to be students and to do our own business. He wants us to be... Um, Silent in regards to gossip or criticism. I think it's what he's talking about. Stay in your own backyard and to work with your own hands. Be steadfast in your labor. Work hard in your realm of responsibility. Don't be lazy. He'll tell them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. He's telling these Greek-influenced Greek minds, hey, work hard. Study at your study. Keep your mouth shut. Work hard with your hands as we've commanded you. Boy, that's a good thing. Success financially oftentimes follows someone who's willing to be work, who's willing to labor. People that just stand around and talk and flap their soup coolers holding the carpet down, they don't usually are not very successful in other areas. Learn to be diligent about the things God... Learn to keep your mouth shut when you should be quiet. I probably shouldn't say shut. Keep your mouth closed. Uh, watch your words uh, whenever you're, when you're speaking. Be careful about what you say. And then, of course, it goes on to uh, talk about as we commanded you. And then verse number 12, read it with me if you would, please. That ye may be walk honestly toward them that are without. He said, I want you to have honesty and a good testimony toward them that are without. What do you think that means? Who are the people that are without? People that are not saved. Okay? And I think we ought to have a good testimony with one another, but we certainly ought to have a good testimony with those who are not saved. That's where we elevate and be careful about that. That's why you want to work hard. That's why you want to be careful with not being loose-lipped. Uh, that's why you want to make sure that you follow these commandments. Be good students. Why? Because you've got an unsaved world that looks at you. And he said, I want you to do that. Now, he's going to switch gears. He's given some very practical things that I think can relate to all of us. He said, look, man, keep your lives sanctified. 
And so I want you to be spirit-filled in your listening. I want you to have sibling love, and I want you to have a missions heart to spread it out and go more and more, be, be more global in your, in your influence of love. I want you to be careful uh, and study and be careful with your mouth and work hard. And then I want you to be a shining light to an unsaved world. Now he goes into the passage of the coming of Christ. We must hasten, but let's look at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And uh, he said, look, no doubt the church of Thessalonica had lost members from the time that Paul was there until uh, he, uh, Timothy came and gave him the report. Some of them may have uh, lost because of affliction and persecution in the local government. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure that's how they died. But they did have Christians who died. And they no doubt wrote him and asked him, uh, or through Timothy, they're having this question here. Here's the, here's the letters. Here's some questions they have. And I think Timothy brought him some questions about morality. And I think that's why we have 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. I think they had some questions about that. And he addressed that. But their questions were, what happens to a Christian when he dies? He said, well, I want you to understand, don't be ignorant of this. Know this, that you don't have to sorrow the same way that everybody sorrows. Uh, Brother uh, Crutchfield and Brother Antonio and Miss Jamie and Miss Rachel, they have uh, funerals every day this week at Memory Lane. Some of the families, are, you can stand there and the people are weeping, but you know that you're going to see them again. And then there's other people that uh, you really can't offer them a lot of hope. And when they cry and wail, it's grievous because they have no guarantee that uh, that person went into eternity to be with the Lord. He said, but if we have Christians that die, we can sorrow. Nothing wrong with crying. God's, God's wired you and I, most of us, I, I think we're very rare in the exception that God lets us release our grief and emotions out of our eyeballs, you know. He squeezes our heart through our eyeballs, and that is very normal. Today I walked into a business this morning of a, of a person that, uh, whose son passed away on uh, July the 12th. I looked on my calendar this morning, it said July 12th, uh, January 12th, and I thought, I think that's about the time that uh, my friend Jeff Edens passed away. And Jeff was a... He came to our church, went through discipleship, was in our men's home, and, but um, he passed away. And I remember hearing about him passing away, and I thought, I'll look at that. And I looked on my thing. I said, yes, he did. He died on July 12th. And so I drove down to where his mother works, and I walked in there, and she was there. And I said, it's six months today, isn't it? She goes, Pastor, I'm just, I almost didn't come to work today. So I know it's not a day on the calendar, but, boy, it's so painful. Every single, like every day, Special days are hard in this year of first things. And I prayed with her, and I believe that Lord, God's going to bring her to church, and I'm happy about that. She's a sweet lady, grieved, and she's saved, and Jeff was saved, and I'm so glad for that. I watched him get baptized right here. So thankful for that testimony. But boy, I think about, I think about those things. But she can sorrow. She goes, I, I know he's, he's okay now. He's with the Lord, and that's good. Does she still grieve? But boy, I've met some other mamas who've lost children. They don't have that hope. They do not have that hope. There's, they, they, they don't have that guarantee they'll see them again. Look at verse number 14. 
For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. I need to hasten. Thank you for following along with me. He said, uh, if we believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then we also can believe that we're going to be resurrected, uh, those of us who are saved. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. Aren't you glad you have God's word on this? This is not Paul talking. This is what the Lord said. He said that uh, we which are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, at the rapture of the church, uh, at the calling up, at the blessed hope, shall not prevent them which are asleep. That means the people that are dead will precede us in coming to be with the Lord. For the Lord himself shall descend where? From heaven. We see there's two things that are in common. Number one, there'll be a shout and there'll be a trump, a trumpet. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Uh, occasionally you'll find some folks who disagree with that, but once you're with God, how long will you be with God according to that verse? Yeah, it's not a temporary thing. It's not like, okay, you've got to pay some penance and you've got to go back for this problem. No, you'll ever be with the Lord. Now, notice, is it something we should be frightened about? Verse number 18, wherefore, what's the word? Comfort one another with these words. Just to review, I want to give you a couple thoughts real quickly. Number one, uh, we right now are in the days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came, what we commonly call the church age. It's where the church is active in trying to follow our head to get the gospel of Christ to others. Okay? We are anticipating the blessed hope. That is the rapture of the church. That is when we meet the Lord in the air. This is a classic chapter of this. It, we don't have time tonight, but we'll do it on, on another night. We'll, we'll talk about 1 Thessalonians uh, again, but uh, it is the rapture of the church. We'll meet, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51 to 58 speaks about it as well. At that time, of course, uh, God's people joined the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're all kind of like, we're, we're two-thirds redeemed as we speak, Okay. God has uh, our, our spirit and our soul, but our body is not yet redeemed, okay? And when you die, you're still two-thirds redeemed, okay? The moment you get saved, you become two-thirds redeemed. Your body and soul belong to the Lord. Your body, however, is not yet uh, done. Another word we find in the book of, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 23, he says, I'm waiting for the adoption and the redemption of the body. Okay, uh, people now that are out in memory lane or any cemetery where there are believers, their body and soul, to be absent from the body is to be, so they're with the Lord, okay? But when the Lord comes back, the Bible just tells us here and gives us insight, there's two things going to happen. Two things are guaranteed to happen, okay? Number one, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be a resurrection of those who have already died. And a change in their body. I don't care if they're, if, they're, if they're in the bottom of the sea and been eaten by sharks or they have been cremated or they have, uh, you know, whatever. If they've got burned in a fire or if they've been buried and, uh, a thousand years ago, that's whenever uh, Adam, he's going up, okay? The, the, the body of Adam is going up. Moses is going up. Anybody who has a physical body that, that is going to, going to be with the Lord, they're going to go up. There's going to be a resurrection and number two, anyone who is alive at the coming of Christ 
they will be equally changed. Okay? So there's a resurrection and there is a change for the dead. And then if you're alive when the Lord comes back, there's just a change in your body. Now your body has been redeemed and you'll have a glorified body and those who will ever be with the Lord. That's what the Bible is teaching there. Of course, we find that that, is, uh, that reconciles us with the Lord. Seven years, marriage supper of the Lamb. Seven years in which that time you'll probably have the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. In uh, three and a half years, and of course the man of sin will now, will then be revealed. And we'll talk about that in 2 Thessalonians. Three and a half years later, Satan is kicked out of heaven. He becomes, and in, in he, uh, he is no longer has access to God in, in heaven as he has had for all this time. And now the Antichrist is going to set up in the, uh, in the temple. He's going to sacrifice in the temple, worship me as God. And then you're going to have all kinds of mayhem take place for the next three and a half years. God's going to call him unto uncle, if you will. And then at the end of seven times, then we have the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Much of our, our future study is going to go to that second return of Christ. What Jesus talked about, Matthew 20, 24, Daniel 9, uh, the, the Old Testament prophets of, of, uh, of uh, Zacharias and those things are going to be talking about, and, and Revelation chapter number 19 especially is going to talk about the coming, that second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he is coming with his saints. The first coming, he's coming for his saints. The second coming, he's coming with his saints and with his mighty angels that are going to gather folks from all over the globe that have accepted Christ most likely during that uh, tribulation period. Uh, from the, He's going to do the four corners of the earth and get them together and they're going to come with his saints and there is when the battle of Armageddon and there is when we start, I believe, what the Bible teaches or we, we, we call it the millennium period, a thousand year reign with Christ. So that's what we're going to talk about as we continue on. Thank you for being with us today. I want to make sure that everybody has a chance to be saved. As we talk about the coming of Christ, the one of the most important things that you need to develop in your heart is, am I going to be there? Am I going to be caught up? Sometimes the little illustration of a magnet. A magnet can go across a pile of, of, of metals, but it's not going to kick up every metal. It's going to pick up the metals that are attracted to it. The truth of the matter is, as the Lord comes, he's going to pick up those who are attracted to him, that are, are born into his, into his family. Make sure you're in that group. If you're wondering about that, don't wonder anymore. Get it taken care of. And uh, if you are saved and you know you're saved, then, boy, I would, I would encourage you to keep going through difficulties with patience of hope, purely, living soberly and righteously, and then being zealous to stay busy for God while we wait for his coming. Let's